The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. The second annual Walk for Water is taking place in Smyrna on Sunday, September 24th. It will be at 3 o'clock this year and starts at 112 Division Street. Again, that's in Smyrna. We talked to Minister Aaron Tremblay about the event, and he's the one that put it all together last year and is again putting it together this year. This Middle Tennessee Walk for Water, both last year and this year, one of the things that's exciting about it is it doesn't matter what your ability level is. You can walk one mile, you can walk two miles, you can walk the four miles. We'll have buses with the various intervals so you can be transported back if you don't want to do the whole thing. We have a lot of opportunities to just volunteer if you can't or you don't want to walk at all. There's opportunities to pass out water. There's opportunities to help with giving out the t-shirts and those things. An anonymous donor this year told Aaron that he will donate $4 for every participant in the walk on September 24th. Even if you don't have anything to give, you literally have nothing to give, but you say, you know what, I want to make a difference. I think it's important for people to have clean drinking water. We have a sponsor. We have one last year. We have one this year that will give $4, as in walk for water. They'll give $4 for every person that registers and shows up and picks up their free t-shirt. They'll give $4 towards the well-being done. So even if you don't have anything yourself to give financially, but you just say, you know, I believe people should have clean drinking water. If you just come out and participate, you're still financially contributing to the construction of the well. So there's no limit in terms of age from the youngest to the oldest. There's no limit in terms of ability. And there's no limit in terms of a requirement to give. And every person that comes, registration is free. Every person that comes gets a free T-shirt. And every person that comes, uh, we're inviting to stay. We're going to have a celebration afterwards and a cookout. So they'll get a hamburger and a hot dog. And we want to raise awareness, but we also want to engage with the community and show our community that people in Rutherford County, people in Middle Tennessee, it's bigger than Rutherford County, people in Middle Tennessee are people who want to improve the condition of their neighbors and help their fellow man and make a difference not only here in our area, not only here in Tennessee and in the U.S., but throughout the world. Like last year, the walk will be four miles, and that's to raise awareness of the need for clean water and how that water changes lives in foreign countries that don't have easily accessible clean water available to them. The four miles is a symbolic four miles because every day in developing countries, women and children walk that average of four miles to collect water for their family. Now, the wells that were built because of money raised last year, after being installed, they now supply clean water to eight different villages. So this impacts the life of over 7,800 residents in developing countries. There were eight different villages and five different countries. So we ended up uh, helping people. So a couple of the wells, there were multiples in the same country. So Malawi had two wells, and then we also had two in Zambia. And then we also had some in Zimbabwe, Uruguay, and trying to think of the fifth one off the top of my head. But we ended up doing five different countries and eight villages in those countries. And then when you look at the populations and the proximity to the water, it ended up impacting around 8,000 people that had now access to clean, accessible water. We're talking with Minister Aaron Tremblay about the annual Walk for Water. 
This is the second annual event. It's going to be held in Smyrna on Sunday, September 24th. Walk for Water is a initiative of Healing Hands International, and they do all kinds of work all around the world. Walk for Water is just one of their initiatives to help in different communities around the world. They also do some agricultural training for people internationally. They do a lot of shipping of goods, things like with everything that was going on in Ukraine. They send entire shipping containers of basic supplies for people. They were collecting things, for instance, in five-gallon buckets. So they're kind of the the boots on the ground that carry these things out. And these countries are third-world-type areas. Uh, I mean, they're totally different from what anybody here in America is used to. It will probably be similar countries. It will probably be the same countries. It'll be in Africa um, and probably Malawi will be one of them again, um, just because there is such a significant number of areas that need uh, the water. Um, and again, because the, each dollar stretches further in those countries right now with the relationship that Healing Hands has with well diggers and things in those places. Last year, our initial goal was actually only 15000 and we raised over 60000 and so at 7500 per well, we were able to dig eight wells. This year, we set a goal of 45000 but I certainly expect us to exceed that goal. Last year, we really weren't sure how many people we would have, um, but we ended up having over 1,200 people pre-register and then it rained the day of the walk, and we still had uh, 993 people come out and and walk together in Smyrna. Did you say last year the goal was 15,000, but you actually... 15, yes. We raised over 60,000. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's it was, awesome. It was incredible. For each of the specific villages, there's kind of a story and a background that goes with each one of them. One of them where one of the wells was placed, they don't have a lot of rainfall, but they it was located kind of near what we would think of in terms of being kind of swamp-type water, stagnant, definitely having a lot of potential for parasites and things like that in the water. But their closest access to running or moving water that was more clean was at least four miles for them to go. So a lot of the people were just drinking the water when it did rain and it settled into that area they were just drinking that stagnant water and using it and so putting that that well in there changed everything for them because as you can imagine if you're two and a half miles from your closest clean water source and i use clean in quotes it's as clean as it can be not everybody is physically able to make a, a two and a half mile trek and then carry the water that same two and a half miles back and so some people as a matter of of convenience are just taking the water that's closest even though it's, it's certainly not ideal some people out of necessity have to use that water and so when this well went in as you can imagine it really changed things for that community they get that time back that they were having to spend getting that water and then those who are not capable of making that trek to the water now have clean water instead of using what they only what they had access to. So it really, it, it makes a big difference. And in these third world areas that are receiving these wells, the water supplies that they currently have, which are few and far in between, some people having to walk for literally miles and miles just to get their family water. The water there is so 
polluted with everything from agriculture pesticides, if they even use Mm -hmm. those there, to to fertilizers, and and then the bigger issue, polluted with animal waste. I mean, mean, that's one of the biggest pollutants of water in some of these countries. Absolutely. And you got to remember when a lot of these water sources, for instance, if, if they are able to have some access to like a river, all of the animals, all the people are using the same water. And so when you're downstream from other people who have already used the water from the animals and the livestock and things like that that are using the water, all those things by the time the water gets to you are, are in it. And so there are certainly a lot of, like I mentioned, parasites and the things that you mentioned that are in that water, whereas if it's a a well that's dug down to a vein under the ground, none of those things are able to get to that water. And so it's so much cleaner, uh, healthier, and better for the people there. And I'm going to use these two countries just as an example because I know a little bit more about them, but Nicaragua, for example, and then the Dominican Republic as another example. A lot of their streams, which are realistically about the size of Stones River, they're not big streams, they're not big rivers, but you have issues of companies, manufacturers, dumping waste directly into these water supplies, which leads to hundreds, if not thousands, of different chemicals in the water once that stream flows into or through the different villages. Yeah, and it's certainly, you know, even here in the United States, those are things for a long time that were were issues here. Or I used to live in Massachusetts. There was a paper printing printing plant back in the early uh, 1900s, and they said you could tell when they changed the color of the print that they were using on the paper because the river would change colors because the, the, the wasted, the, the excess ink would go into the water. And so you could tell what they were printing based on the color of the water. Um, we haven't always done a good job in general across the world of taking good care of uh, those types of things. You know, but even if you think about something like giardia or other kinds of parasites that live in, in river water and things like that, it's not a life or death situation for us here. We have access. If you or I drank that water, you know, we would go to the hospital, we'd get antibiotics, we'd be treated under the care of a physician, and it probably would be something that would be uncomfortable for a little bit, but it wouldn't be a life or death situation for us. And you look at these other countries and these places where the wells are going, and if somebody gets a parasite like that or an infection, they don't have access to just drive 10 minutes down the road and go to the hospital and then pick up a prescription at the pharmacy for some antibiotics and things like that. But they end up suffering from, um, you know, intestinal distress and diarrhea and things like that. It could be weeks or longer uh, in some cases. And and so those things can become what, what to you and I would just be a, an inconvenience, if you will, from something that's in the water we drink can be a life, de- life or death situation for them in the areas that they live in. Now, in some of these countries, I don't think it's a situation where the officials, the government officials who are in those countries, they know and understand, I think they do, that their water is not necessarily safe to consume, but yet they don't have all the tests or the available tests to test their own water. But at the same time, in some of these areas, they'll actually have armed guards around bodies of water to make sure people don't further contaminate them. But the sad thing is, going back to the, the, um, the, the money, they don't have the funds to test the water to see exactly what's wrong with the water. Yeah, and, and 
again, it's, it's an area where there's opportunity for those of us who are, are fortunate and very blessed and, and what we have to be able to provide for a need. You know, those people, either the government can't or don't supply that need, and we have an opportunity in a lot of cases, you know, and, and working in conjunction with some of the governments of these countries to allow us in with the equipment and those kind of things to dig those wells. But you're exactly right, you know, and, and some of these areas, they're fairly remote. Uh, one of the places where one of the wells, one of the eight wells was dug was actually at a prison. But when we think of a prison, we think of, you know, a huge concrete building and all those kinds of things. And we think of the guards kind of commuting to work, if you will. Uh, you think, well, why would you dig a well at a prison of all the places to put one? But the prison there is actually just a fence. And the guards and their families live on the outside of the fence and protect or, or keep watch over the prisoners. And even the, the prisoners, because the, the government is not very concerned about them having to clean water or, or concerned about them having water in general, that also means that the guards and the people and their families who live in the same place didn't have access either. And so that was one of the really interesting places where the well was dug also. And, and you can imagine the way that it impacted the lives of, of those guards and their families who are living basically in the same conditions as the, as the prisoners. They're just on different sides of the fence. And so there's all sorts of areas and places. One of the wells was put at a school, you know, and certainly that's a place where the kids are, are being sent and they need access to water. And, and we all think when we send our kids to school, we would never think, well, they're not going to have any water today while they're at school. You know, we, we know they don't have access to as much water as they need to drink. And even here in Tennessee right now, I think, I don't know what the temperature was yesterday, but in my car when I got in, it said it was like a 112 or something outside. The heat index is high. And I tell my daughter, you know, drink plenty of water when you go to school today. That's not something that can be said to the children that are going to school in some of these places. When they go to school, the school doesn't have access to water for them during the day. And so those are just a few of the different kinds of locations where these wells are being dug and where those needs are in some of these countries. Whenever churches or religious organizations get involved in, in helping people in other countries, you often hear that backlash of, well, well, we have so many people here in our own backyard who are hurting. Why are they going overseas or to another country to help people out? And it bothers me when I hear that because, you know, when you look at the numbers and if 10,000 people were to give just $10 each, that add up to $100,000 to help another country. We're talking about pennies from those who do have enough funds to donate $10 for this cause and still help out their own church and, and still give an offering at church. But the Bible doesn't say anything about only focusing on the ones who are within 10 miles of your church. It's hard. We don't want to get into a leveraging one need over another. Certainly all the needs that people have in, in our own backyard are valid. But it is a very different kind of need. As I mentioned, you know, here there's programs, a lot of programs, even in just in Rutherford County, that help with providing meals for kids at school, for instance, even during the summertime and in between. And, and for the most part, not without exception, but for the most part, a basic necessity like water is something that most of us here in the U.S. and here specifically in the area we live in. That's not something that people typically have to go without. And we are just as passionate about trying to provide needs, you know, here certainly. But as you mentioned, and in particular with this walk that we're doing, it's not just about the funds that are raised for the wells. That's an important part of it. But it's also just about having an awareness 
that the world is bigger than just our immediate area. The world is bigger. The needs are bigger than just the things sometimes that are right in front of our eyes. And so in addition to trying to raise money and have goals to build wells, we're also trying to build an awareness for the needs that do exist outside of even our own community. And it's hard to imagine. It's hard to fathom. I think for most people who live in the United States, it's hard to fathom a place where where you don't have water at all or the only water that you have to drink. You have to choose between I have to have water or I'll be dehydrated, but I know when I drink this water, it's going to make me sick. Most of us don't have to make that decision, and and definitely most of us don't have to make that decision on a daily basis. And thinking about like just how many times you use water in a day, if you wanted to brush your teeth, but before you could do that, you had to walk two miles to get the water and two miles back. And if you wanted to be able to bathe, if you wanted to be able to make dinner, if you wanted to be able to provide water for your children because you knew it was going to be a hot day and you had to make that trip every time you wanted to have access to that water, just think the way that that would impact your day-to-day life. And what we're trying to do is bring the community together in a way that says we can we can make a impactful difference in the world, in the lives of these people, we can give them time back, we can give them their health back, we can do all these things. And to your point, just for a fraction of a sacrifice, if you will, when it comes to the financial requirement to build that well. You know, I I think it's safe to say those who live in America, we live in one of the most economically blessed areas we could imagine living in. And I would guess the majority of people out there in Rutherford County, across the state, across the U.S., they've never been to a real third world country and seen what real poverty truly looks like. And even those who think they're living in poverty here, they're living far above the means of somebody who lives in somewhere like some of these countries that you're helping. Yeah. And I'll say this in the traveling that I've done to Central America and the living I've done in some other countries, no matter how much someone has, or no matter how little someone has, people can always find ways to give or to share to improve the life of others. And sometimes that means, you know, maybe somebody literally has nothing and they're just living on the land and they just have nothing, but they lend a hand to their neighbor to help them to do something, to help improve their life, to help improve their their community. And it doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have, you can always do something to contribute to the betterment of humanity, the betterment of your fellow man. And so that's what that's what we're trying to do. Let's go back to the drinking water that some of these people have had over the years in these foreign countries. This drinking water, be it, let's say, a stream that goes through their village, that stream is the same stream that animals are walking through, that animals are are defecating in. This is the same stream of water that mothers are washing their family's clothing in. These streams are also the same streams where mothers and fathers are going, let's say, five miles away, filling up two five-gallon buckets of water, then walking all the way back to their village in order to have water for that week to make food with, to make dinner with, to drink the water out of, and so forth. So we don't have that problem here. Here we can run to Walgreens and buy a case of water if we wanted to. You're right. And... Also, even even here in the United States, 
it's not really advised to just go to a random river and drink the water right out of it. I mean, if you look up the recommendations, even here in Tennessee, you usually want to boil the water before you drink it just because there are things that can be in that water that can give you some discomfort, right? But to your point, we have access to a lot of different methods, whether we want bottled water, whether we have, you know, a Brita filter container that can, that can purify the water. We have all these different ways of getting to clean, pure, good drinking water that won't have a negative impact on us. But you're, you're exactly right as far as their sources of water. There was a place, a specific place in La Ceiba, Honduras, when I was there. And the name of the place, what people there called it, was Basudal. And that just means garbage or dump in Spanish. And it was this huge mountain of trash. And, and people would actually live. They would construct kind of shelters on the trash dump and live off of the things they could find when it would rain the rain would go through that huge pile and come down and there was a trench that was dug and the water would go out from there and all along that trench of water and the water was flowing from the bottom of that pile of trash and i mean it's like a mountain people all along where that water was running were using that water drinking that water using it to to wash their hair or their body and things like that and and essentially that water had traveled from the top of the garbage pile picked up everything on the way down and then flowed down that trench of water and that's just that's just one example but that's that's a real place and and those people need water and when it rains that's one of their sources of water and so they they have to use it but they don't have another alternative they don't have to your point a walgreens or, you know, a Sam's Club where they can go buy a 48-pack of, of bottled water. Even right here in our own backyard in Rutherford County, in 2019, the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation issued a warning to those who fish in the East Fork of the Stones River because fish were being found with high levels of mercury content in them. That tells me that that mercury was coming from somewhere within the river. But we, the cool thing about living in Rutherford County, we have the option to say, well, hey, I'm not going to go get the water. I'm not going to drink water out of the Stones River because we have all these mm-hmm. other sources of water. But in these foreign countries, they don't have other sources of water in most cases. And and in addition to that, as, as I was talking about earlier, the one example, you know, the immediate access they have the first water they're going to use, whether it's good or bad, and only those who have the physical ability, you know, to go that two and a half miles to get to a better, and it's not necessarily a good or a pure source of water, but a better source than the stagnant setting water, uh, only those who are physically able can, can make that trick. So it's not always an option to even get to a better source of water, because uh, two and a half mile walk is something that not everyone can do to begin with. And then to be able to pick up the water, I think they say a gallon of water weighs about eight pounds. So you think about carrying five gallons of water, two and a half miles is not something that most people would be able to do. Let's touch base again on the wells that you're raising money for. And the question is, how are these wells constructed? So these wells are, are constructed. There's a mechanism. We, we were able to actually have it at the Walk for Water last year. I believe we'll have it again this year physically so people can see how it functions and operates. But it's a steel head that goes at the top of the well and the pump uh, draws and circulates the water from underground. But an auger goes down and, and digs. Typically, it's somewhere around 200 feet or so is how far down the uh, well has to be dug to get to the vein of water that's under the ground. So you're not pulling from, when we talk about a well, we're not 
pulling from you know a an existing source of water in terms of something that could be polluted or someone else is, is tapping into it downstream but you're tapping into a vein of water that's running under the ground and so it's a much much more pure and kind of undefiled source of water than you would get from a river or a lake or any other surface sources of water. I just happened to pull up one statistic, and it talks about how, globally speaking, 40% of the population, globally speaking again, does not have access to sufficient clean water. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the statistic is, but it's a shocking statistic when you look at how many deaths are caused by symptoms, conditions that are caused by unhealthy drinking water in different parts of the world, specifically with children. Because again, we think about if, if you drink water that has those chemicals in it, you drink water that has those parasites in it, and you can't just be driven five minutes to the hospital and the doctor writes you a prescription and you grab it at the pharmacy, and then in a couple of days you're back to normal. When you're in a situation where you're a child and your body is already kind of at a disadvantage uh, at combating some of those things because it's just being exposed to them for the first time. And you have, you know, in some of these countries, extreme heat and things like that that you're exposed to on a daily basis. And you get dehydrated because you're, you're, you have an upset stomach caused by these parasites. It's an extremely dangerous situation and condition for them to be in. And it's not it's not an expensive medication that's required to solve the problem. It's not, you know, a huge effort. It's giving them access to clean water changes that for those for those families, for those children, for those people. It's a matter of giving them access to clean water. And in these countries that we've talked about that we impacted this past year and that we're looking at targeting to put more wells in this year, for $7,500, we can change a cycle in that community and, and change the health and change the outlook for those families. Just based on what 900 people came together to do last year, we were able to impact the lives of over 8,000 people. And again, we were able to give them time back from having to go and get the water and bring it back. We were able to impact their health because now they're not having to deal with those diseases and infections and things that were coming from the water. Children, instead of out of necessity, having to go and get the water and bring it back, maybe now they have access and the ability to have education and to go to school and things like that. We, we think of it maybe just as we're just giving people water, but it really is transformative when you think about what was going on before that accessible source of water was there. The waterborne diseases out there that are, are in the water supplies of these different countries those waterborne diseases, they constitute the majority of illnesses that cause suffering and death in these developing countries. Mm -hmm. If somebody out there listening wants to get involved in this walk for water that's coming up, tell us again when it's going to be, how you sign up, or do you just show up? The best thing to do, there is a link, and it's mtw, the number four, w.com, www.mt for Middle Tennessee w4w the number four that's walkforwater.com walk for water where the number four comes from it's symbolic it represents the average distance a person has to travel in a third world country to and from their closest water source and so we walk four miles 
to signify and represent that journey that they have to make for that water. We're walking these four miles for water so that they don't have to anymore. In Smyrna, Aaron Tremblay, a local minister in Rutherford County, says he is once again working to put together the second annual Walk for Water, a walk that will benefit thousands of people in foreign countries, third world countries, where they lack clean drinking water. This year's Walk for Water is at 3 p.m., starting at 112 Division Street in downtown Smyrna, and it will be held on Sunday, September 24th. You can learn more by visiting mtw4w.com, which stands for Middle Tennessee Walk for Water. For WGNS News, I'm Scott Walker. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. We'll see a few scattered showers and thunderstorms at times here this afternoon with cloudy skies, a high in the mid-80s. Tonight's slight chance for rain and storms and a low near 60. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 65. Don't let concerns about today's events derail your long-term financial strategy. Hi, I'm Edward Jones Financial Advisor Lee Colvin, and I'm here to help. We can work together to understand the impact of these events and make sure that your goals are top of mind. While you can't control market volatility, we'll help focus on what you can control. We can connect in several virtual ways. Start by giving me a call at 615-907-7056. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. With cold and flu season here, nothing helps my family more than having the Demas's baked chicken and rice soup. It was a soup that was created by my grandmother, and we not only sell it by the cup, but we also sell it by the quart, by the half gallon, and by the gallon. So stop by anytime today and bring soup to your family that may be sick or a friend that's in sick, or just to enjoy it just because it tastes so good. Demas's Restaurant. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. The Commissioner Corner featuring Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris. And now with today's commentary, here's Commissioner Harris. When I ran for office five years ago, I ran on the fact that I wasn't a politician. However, when you become elected, you are a politician. And what comes with that is people put you in a box. A lot of people don't trust politicians. So I ask myself, why do people think politicians are bad people? You see, throughout history, politicians have often been subjected to scrutiny and criticism, with many people perceiving them as bad individuals. The perception stems from various factors, including corruption, scandals, broken promises, partisan politics, and a lack of transparency. However, it is essential to recognize this broad generalization oversimplifies the complex nature of politics and fails to acknowledge the numerous politicians who generally works better for society. I'm going to try to explore the reasons behind this prevalent belief that politicians are inherently bad people, while also recognizing the limitations of such a viewpoint. One of the primary reasons why people perceive politicians as bad individuals is the prevalence of corruption and scandals within the political sphere. High-profile cases of bribery, embezzlement, and abuse of power have eroded public trust and reinforced the notion that politicians are self-serving opportunists. These instances often sensationalized by the media, 
create a lasting negative impression that overshadows the positive work carried out by many politicians. Another reason that politicians are considered bad is broken promises. You see, politicians are frequently held accountable for failing to deliver on their promises, leading to disillusionment and skepticism among the public. The constant cycle of election campaigns filled with lofty pledges followed by limited implementation fuels the perception that politicians lack integrity and merely seek power. This cycle erodes public trust, leaving many feeling betrayed and further cementing the negative perception of politicians. There is also partisan politics that is one of the complaints. You see, the rise of partisan politics and deepening polarization has contributed significantly to the negative perception of politicians. In a climate where political parties are often more concerned with gaining power than addressing the needs of the people, politicians are perceived and prioritize their party's interests over those of the nation. The perceived lack of compromise and an unwillingness to collaborate across party lines reinforces the belief that politicians are more interested in maintaining power than serving the public. There is always the problem with lack of transparency. Within political systems fosters suspicion and distrust among the public. People are often feel disconnected from decision-making processes as politicians appear to operate behind closed doors, making deals and decisions that impact their lives without their input. The lack of transparency leads to a perception that politicians are operating in their self-interest rather than serving the public good. Now, while it is undeniable that there are politicians who engage in unethical behavior and put personal gain over public welfare, it is crucial to avoid painting all politicians with the same brush or putting us in a box. The negative perception of politicians as inherently bad people arises from a combination of corruption, scandals, broken promises, partisan politics, and a lack of transparency. However, it is essential to recognize the complexities of politics and acknowledge the countless politicians who dedicate their lives to public service and strive to create positive change. By engaging in open dialogue, promoting transparency, and encouraging accountability, we can foster a more nuanced understanding of politics and work towards rebuilding trust between politicians and the public. Let me reiterate, transparency and accountability are never a bad thing for local government. I am honored and proud to be a county commissioner for Rutherford County. And though I strive to take care of everything, I cannot please everyone. But it's not fair to be put in a box and be labeled as bad politician because you know bad politicians. I think that we should strive to be better politicians. And we have some good ones in Rutherford County. You see, I am honored to be a Rutherford County commissioner. And I try to do the things that help in the betterment of our society. However, I can't please everyone. But it's not fair to be put into a box. I make mistakes, but I will always strive to be a better commissioner. This is Craig Harris, and this is the Commissioner's Corner. The views of Commissioner Harris are just that, his views. They're not necessarily the views of the station, nor are they the views of WGNS advertisers or news partners. If you would like to share your opinion or ideas with Commissioner Harris, email him at ccotinc at comcast.net. That's ccotinc at comcast.net. Right now that time, 8.50, you're tuned to WGNS on this Tuesday morning. Today is the 12th of September. Again, the time right now, 8.51. And we're broadcasting out of the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Middle Tennessee Electric's charitable foundation known as Sharing Change is funded by members who round up their electric bills to the nearest dollar each month 
as a donation and support to hundreds of local nonprofits. Learn more at sharingchange.org. Again, the time, 8.51. More news and information around the corner, including a look into the world of beekeepers in Rutherford County. Uh, That's what comes your way next. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Hi, this is Dan at Music World and Drummer's Den. Well, it turns out we have keyboards as well. We have Yamaha. We have beginner models up to ones that look good in your living room like furniture and all points in between traveling musician synthesizers and pianos. Well, what about drums? Do we have drums? We are Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. A good Tuesday morning to you. You're tuned to WGNS, and this is the Action Line. In this next segment, we learned a little more about bees. And we also ask a longtime beekeeper for more details on something that we have long heard. Are there less bees in Rutherford County and surrounding areas? Are there less bees nationwide? Because some beekeepers are suggesting that they have seen a decrease in the bee population for years. We're talking with Zane Cantrell, who is retired and calls Rutherford County home. Cantrell is a certified beekeeper with the Tennessee Beekeepers Association. And Cantrell, we understand the annual beekeepers conference is coming up in Murfreesboro, and it will be held Friday, October 6th and Saturday, October 7th. Tell us a little bit more about this upcoming conference. We will uh, have beekeepers from all over the state of Tennessee coming to uh Murfreesboro, we will be at the Student Union Building at MTSU on uh, October the 6th and 7th. This is a conference that we have yearly, and this is the second year that we've had this, and we're looking forward to uh, Joe Carr, our mayor, coming out and welcoming all of the beekeepers from the state of Tennessee. And tell us a little bit about your background with beekeeping. Well, I've been beekeeping for a number of years now. And uh, as a matter of fact, I grew up on the farm. My dad had bees, so I've been familiar with them. And uh, since I retired from the Murfreesboro City School System, I picked it back up again. And this has been about 25 years solid that I have been working with bees all over the county, is by the way. And I have a couple of projects that I'm working on that uh, especially veterans who wanted to get into beekeeping will help them do that and see that they have all of the support that they need to be a beekeeper. And we've heard reports of fewer bees in Rutherford County. Have you heard or had a problem with that? Well, from time to time, we hear research about the loss of bees And sometimes you get research that we have more bees on this earth right now than any time we've ever had. 
which is true in a way because you got to remember there were no bees in the United States until the 1600s when they were brought here by the British when they were first coming to the Americas. So, yes, we are losing bees, but we're regaining the strength again. Most of the uh, losses that you hear about is where you've moved bees into farms and moved them around quite a bit. It stresses the bees and we lose them, but we're, we're in pretty good shape right now. And what are some of the advantages that you've seen of making and using local honey? Well, you hear all kinds of uh, reports, but it's better to get honey at least from 10 to 15 miles of where you live. And the reason for that is the flora is different out in the far reaches of the county, as is say it is in Murfreesboro. So if you're getting it for allergies and that sort of thing, tree allergies, uh, grass allergies, so on, it's probably better to have local honey within where you live as opposed to getting it somewhere else. So it really works at keeping allergies away. People tell me that it does. And again, the big event coming up is going to be October 6th and 7th. And once more, that's on the MTSU campus. That's on the MTSU campus. That's a student union building. And this is really a nice facility. You don't have to leave the area to get lunch. Or if you want to stay for the night meal, they have it there. So it's really a tremendous place. We'll have parking for those who need to park over there. We're really looking forward to it. This is a great site, a great venue to have all of the beekeepers from all over the state. Many beekeepers from outside of the state will be here as well. And does it cost anything to attend? There is a minor amount for registration, but it's very small and easy for anyone to pay. And you don't have to be a member of the Tennessee Beekeepers Association to attend. Anybody can attend. Again, we've been talking with Zane Cantrell, and you are with the Tennessee Beekeepers Association. I'm from the board of directors of the Tennessee Beekeepers Association, also a member of the Rutherford County Beekeepers Association. For those who'd like to learn more about the annual Beekeepers Conference, you can register for this at tennesseebeekeepers.org. That's tnbeekeepers.org. You're listening to the Action Line on this Tuesday morning, today, September 12th. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.